I'll now be reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be reading the entire chapter, and I'll give you a moment to arrive there. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Thanks, Josh. Well, good evening, congregation. Oh, no, a little bit of sleep tonight, I reckon. Uh, good evening, everyone. There we go. There we go. Uh, it's good to be with you uh, as we get to open up God's word again tonight. So, uh, continue through this series, as we've said. Has been taking us all the way through the first letter to the Thessalonians, now into the second as well. Well, there's uh, there's something about us as a society that means, for some reason or another, uh, we seem to have an insatiable curiosity about the apocalypse, about the end of the world. Now, one look, uh, don't believe me, but one look at uh, popular culture uh, will tell us that this is the case. Uh, in recent years, there have been, or there has been an explosion, no pun intended, in the movie, a number of movies and television shows that either are about the apocalypse, about the end of the world, or, or that's their setting, or things are happening after the world has ended. So think, uh, Walking Dead, uh, Hunger Games, Mad Max, A Quiet Place. Uh, for some reason, we seem to have a morbid fascination 
with what happens when the world comes to an end. Now, why do you think this is the case? Well, there's probably a few different answers you could give to that question, uh, but no doubt part of it is that uh, uh, we have a collective fear of the unknown. Uh, the world at large, the world at large doesn't know when or how the world will end. And so escaping uh, cold reality for a few hours to watch a movie or a TV show uh, about a fictional account of that, perhaps that allows us to think a little bit about it without uh, having to uh, actually experience it. Now, uh, as Christians, well, in many ways, we're in a better position than the rest of the world to think about this topic because we know uh, at least some of what's going to happen uh, when the world ends. And we've seen that already in the letter, uh, the second letter uh, to the Thessalonians, as well as the first letter to the Thessalonians. We saw a bit about it there as well. Uh, Paul has said that Jesus is going to return to rescue his people and to judge those who've rebelled against him. But even knowing that, even knowing that's the case, uh, well, um, even then, uh, we, it's, I think it's still fair to say that the world's uh, fear of uh, the apocalypse could potentially cause us some trouble as well, cause us some fear as well, even as Christians. So, for example, I, I think about uh, the amount of countries uh, today that have access to nuclear weapons. Uh, it seems like there's a whole heap of them. And that being the case, I suspect all it would take potentially is for one world leader to press the big red button and send us into a a nuclear winter. I don't know, maybe I've just been watching too many movies. But even as Christians, I suspect if you're like me, fears of uh, exactly what's going to happen at the apocalypse, fears of that are perhaps still in the back of your mind. Well, a similar thing seems to be happening in the Thessalonian church. They too, as we reach or get into the second chapter of this second letter to this church, they too, it seems, have a fascination with the apocalypse. And it's something that's causing them a great deal of worry and anxiousness. Now, we know that's the case because one of the first things Paul says in this chapter 2, verse 2, he says, we ask that you not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. He wants to calm their fears. Now, what is it exactly that's caused such consternation in this church? As it turns out, they've been sent a fake letter claiming to be from Paul and his gospel co-workers. And if you've ever been or have ever known someone who's been impacted by a scammer, by a scam call, where someone calls up under false pretenses and manages to get you or someone else you know to give away your money, well, you'll know that being tricked like that, being deceived like that, can do a little more than just ruin your day. Well, in the Thessalonians, this church, well, they haven't lost money. What is it that's happened? Well, they've been sold a lie. Okay, and the lie is this. Paul states it there in verse 2. He says, Don't be shaken by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So they're not worried because they don't know how the world's going to end. No, they're worried 
because they think it's already happened. They think that Paul has contacted them to say, Jesus has already returned. The apocalypse is upon us. Now, no wonder the church is up in arms. Now, can you imagine what it would be like here at Bull Creek if we suddenly came to the conclusion that Jesus had actually returned and how devastating we might find that if we thought Jesus had returned and not rescued us, that he'd come and gone and left us behind? What do you think that would be like for us here at Bull Creek? I suspect we would all flee in different directions, wouldn't we? If we thought Jesus had come and gone and not come for us. And so Paul's first response to this church that's kind of, that's worried out of his mind is to say, don't be alarmed. Don't be deceived. And he begins then to set the record straight for them. His solution uh, to this issue is pretty simple. It's this. He says, it can't be the case that Jesus has already returned because certain events have to happen first before he comes back. And then uh, from verse, or the second half of verse 3 all the way to verse 10, well, he goes on to explain one event in particular that hasn't yet happened and that has to happen first before Jesus returns. What is this event? Well, it's, as we heard, it's the appearance of someone called the man of lawlessness. Now, in other parts of Scripture, uh, this person, this figure is described as the Antichrist, which I assume uh, many of you will be familiar with. Now, before we kind of jump in to see what Paul said about this upcoming event, it's worth mentioning first that this portion of Scripture, uh, this all that Paul says here in these next few verses about this coming figure, it's it's right about one of the most difficult to understand things of anything that Paul writes. Okay? It's, it's hard to grasp exactly the finer details of what's going on. And there's a good reason for that. This reason is because what we're reading in these verses is a follow-up conversation to an earlier conversation that Paul had with the Thessalonians when he was there with them in person. Okay, That's what he says in verse 5. He says, Do you not remember, that's you, the Thessalonian church, in that time and place, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, uh, we've all kind of been in that situation where you enter into a conversation with a group of people and you come in kind of late and you realize they've been talking about something and you're not entirely sure what's going on. The conversation continues and you're kind of, maybe there's a bit of awkwardness because you realize you've come late to the conversation and you haven't got all the details. Well, that's the position that we are in as we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is following up on an earlier conversation, one that we are not privy to, and so that means there's going to be some things about it that we just don't grasp. But having said that, there are still a number of things that we can grasp. Okay, So here's what we can grasp then about this, this figure, this man of lawlessness. First, he directly opposes God. Okay, this is a second half of verse 3 and into verse 4. Now, Paul uh, writes that this, when this man of lawlessness is revealed, when he appears, well, we'll know that's the case because he will exalt himself to such an extent and oppose God so fiercely that, as Paul puts it in verse 4, 
he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, if you know the kind of historical context and the story of the Old Testament, you'll know the temple was the, about the one place that most clearly represented God's presence to his people. It was kind of like uh, God's throne room, so to speak. And so Paul's here saying that this person, whoever it is, will be so directly opposed to God that they'll seek to try and dethrone God himself and put themselves in his place. Now, there's not, I don't know about you, there's not much more you can do to directly oppose God than that, right? I mean, the name of this figure gives it away, I think, that man of lawlessness. Now, it was God who gave the law, wasn't it? Again, reading the, the story of the Bible, we see God gives his people the law. He spoke it to us. And so if this, this man is a, a man of lawlessness, well, he's going to be someone who's characterized by a heightened rebellion against God's word. And in such a way that it'll be clearly visible to the church. Okay? This is something that's going to be taking place in the context of the church someone rising up against God's word. And this hence why Paul says, you'll be able to know when it happens. Now, I think uh, despite the fact that he's talking really about someone who's going to appear to the church, I think we actually already get a taste of this sort of thing in the here and now. Even though this is going to, uh, talking about a future event, we get a taste of it now. So, for example, if we, we see uh, politicians, for example, going... Uh, creating laws that go against God's word. Well, we have a recent example of that in 2017, marriage law redefined here in Australia. Right, that's something clearly different, opposed to God's word. Right, so that's a, that's, now that's not the Antichrist, but it is a small taste of what we perhaps will see more of in the future. But that's not all, Paul says. Because you've also then got to ask the question, well, if this, if this is something that's going to happen before Jesus comes back, Jesus obviously hasn't returned yet. In fact, it's been 2,000 years and Jesus still hasn't returned. Well, if that's the case, why haven't we seen this figure yet? If it's something that's going to be revealed, why haven't we seen it yet? And the answer is, that's because even though he's going to directly oppose God, well, Paul writes that right now, He's being restrained. God is holding this figure back until his time comes. That's what Paul says in verses 6 and 7. Now, knowing that there's going to be an antichrist figure arriving at some point to directly oppose God, well, that could have the potential to be a terrifying and devastating possibility for us. Right, like, like a, a bit like a, a seeing a feral dog on a leash, right? You see a, someone holding a feral dog on a leash, he might look scary. But as long as he's on the leash, he's not going anywhere. Right? He's securely tied up. Well, that's how it is at the moment, Paul says. So for us as Christians, despite the fact that this figure that Paul's talking about, it seems like it could be a frightening possibility, it need not be something that keeps us up at night. But I think the most important thing that Paul says about this figure is what he says next. He said that he's going to oppose God, that he's being restrained. 
But then he says, well, even when uh, this figure is eventually let off the leash, so to speak, well, then he'll be defeated by Jesus. And here's just how, uh, just how clinical a defeat it's going to be for this figure. Okay, get this. This is uh, verse 8. Have a look with me. Paul writes, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Now, now what is it that comes uh, with our breath? Well, our, our speech comes with our breath, doesn't it? That's the way we talk. Right now, I'm, I'm speaking through breathing. And so what Paul's getting at here is saying, all it will take for this terrible enemy who's going to come at some point, all it will take is for, for this lawless one to be defeated is for Jesus to appear and speak one word. Rather, the word of Christ will be enough to instantly defeat this coming figure, this man of lawlessness. So one day the, the feral dog is going to be let off the leash, but one word from Jesus will send it running with its tail between its legs. He'll be gone, never to be seen again. Now that's what it will be like for the man of lawless, lawlessness, whoever it is, when Jesus arrives. And so the point being, of course, even though this, this event is still yet to happen, don't let it derail you. Don't let the potential worries or concerns about what's going to happen then, don't let it derail you now. Don't be taken in by whatever false prophecies or predictions you might hear about this. Uh, don't fear that, that Jesus might actually return ahead of schedule and that he doesn't come back to collect you. Let's not fear that possibility. Uh, none of that can be the case because, as Paul's saying, there are still things that have to happen first. And even if those, those things are going to be really difficult, which they may well be, the point is, in the end, they will come to nothing because Jesus wins. Now, having said that, at the same time, what this also shows is just how dangerous a position it is or how dangerous a position the Thessalonian church is in because of the deception that they have experienced. Right? They've been, they got taken in by this fake letter. And that tells us there's a real danger to deception. Why? Well, because deception is Satan's domain. Ever since the garden... Ever since the Garden of Eden, right back at the start of human history, that's what he has been about. And so as we see kind of this uh, Paul saying that there's going to be this increasing uh, rebellion, this, this increasing desire to reject God, well, that's when we'll see this great deception of this lawless one, this Antichrist. And why will he be able to deceive? Why will that be a thing that comes with him? Well, it's not just because, as Paul states, he's aligned with Satan, but also because, according to verse 9, this figure will come with, quote, all power and false signs and wonders. Now, when you hear that phrase, power and signs and wonders, what does it make you think of? Does that ring a bell? Who had power and signs and wonders accompanying them? Jesus did. Right, Jesus, that's, that's his thing. Have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to see that. 
So, so what's Paul saying? Well, he's, he's saying that when we get to this future period of deception, it's going to look Christ-like. It's going to look like it's not deception, like it's the truth. And so I think what this means is this figure will be someone who appears in the, the, the worldwide church, someone who appears in the visible church. Uh, this is a, a thing that's going to happen in the church, not out in the world. The world is already opposed to God. They've already uh, rejected him. So it seems this figure, whoever it is, is going to come kind of as Satan's last hurrah to try and turn people who claim the name of Christ, turn them away from God. And the danger, Paul says, the danger in this future event is that it will look like the truth. Now, I've got a, a picture coming up on the screen behind me. You may have seen uh, this image before. Anyone tell me uh, it's a portrait of someone? Anyone want to have a guess who it is? Shakespeare, that's right, a portrait of Shakespeare. Now, now um, I had to go look this up. Uh, perhaps I'm ashamed to say this. I didn't know exactly when Shakespeare lived. He lived in the late 1500s, early 1600s. And for a long time, this was one of the best-known portraits of him. And that is until 2005, Because what happened? Well, someone took a closer look underneath and determined, actually, this is a complete fake. And was actually painted not in the 1600s during his lifetime, but in the 1800s. Now, here, uh, here's the sculpture, in fact, that that uh, painting is said to be a copy of. So the one on the right, now that's the one that's actually from the 1600s. And the one on the left is the forgery from the 1800s. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but do you think that just by having looked at it, just by taking it at face value, that you would have been able to pick up the forgery? Well, if you're like me, I suspect the answer would be no. I don't think I would have picked that up. Now, why is that the case? Well, because it's hard to spot a forgery, isn't it? And Paul's saying that for many in the visible church, It'll be hard to spot the forgery that is this coming man of lawlessness, this coming antichrist. In fact, he'll look so Christ-like that as a result of his coming, everyone will get split into one of two camps. There'll be those who look at him and take him at face value and those who look and see what's really underneath, as Paul is warning us. And what will be the deciding factor as to whether you're in this camp or the other, whether you are taken in by this antichrist deception? What will be the deciding factor? Well, it's there at the end of verse 10. Here's what Paul says. He says, the coming of the lawless one is for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. It's those who refuse to love the truth of God's word. They're the ones who will be deceived when this moment of great deception comes at some point in the future. Because, I mean, what happens when you turn from the truth, right? If you refuse to love the truth, it means you're turning from the truth. What do you have left? All you've got left is lies, falsehood. That's it. It's like flicking off a a light switch at nighttime, right? If you refuse to love the light... The truth, it, well, the only remaining option is the darkness, 
right? Lies, falsehood. Now, how do I know then, if that's the case, how do I know that if I'm at risk of refusing to love the truth? I suspect that that will be the case for any who perhaps like the word, the truth of God's word, but don't love the truth of God's word. Because if I, if I don't love it, even if I like it, well, what that really means is I'm going to seek truth elsewhere. I'm going to seek my main source of truth elsewhere. I think as Christians today, as people who claim the name of Christ, there are plenty of ways for, that we can do this. So one example. Right? We might yearn for truth, by listening to uh, popular public figures who say things that, at least on the surface, sound very uh, Christian, very uh, true in their content. That's right, so, uh, an example. I think of men like Ben Shapiro, who I'm assuming many of you will know. Right, this is a very clever man, a man gifted by God. I've heard a number of things that he's said over the years that make a lot of sense, and that even appear to line up with Christian beliefs. And yet the man himself, he's not a Christian. Now, am I checking the things that are being said, that they actually line up with what God said? Or do I just take those things on board because they sound good? Now, the same goes for another public figure, Jordan Peterson, another very gifted individual, another man who has a lot of helpful things to say. He even does, you might have seen this, he he does uh, lectures on Old Testament Bible books. You might have seen he does this online. He, he's a lecture series that you can look at where he digs deeply into books of the Bible. Now, on the surface, you look at that and you think, this is great. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you see he doesn't actually see Scripture for what it really is, that it's the Word of God. Right? In fact, what he's doing is emptying scripture of truth, of its power, because he sees it only from an earthly standpoint. But but, having said that, because it looks really good, well, the temptation is to say, this is where I can find truth. This is where truth can be found. Now, that's just like what the Thessalonians did. They heard someone who sounded like Paul and they believed it. And it's caused them all this trouble, Paul's saying. Now, the the devil is a charlatan. He is a trickster. So if he's going to try and deceive us, well, it's going to be with something that looks good. And so Paul's call uh, to the Thessalonian church and to us is to be very careful, exceedingly careful, to make sure that a desire for truth doesn't lead us away from God's word as our primary source of truth. Now, the final thing uh, Paul says uh, is probably his uh, clearest word in this passage. It's here, I think, where he delivers the greatest motivation to not be shaken and to not be deceived by false prophecies or claims relating to Jesus' return. He says it there in verses 13 to 15. And again, he returns here to thanksgiving. This is something we saw last week. Uh, He started the letter by thanking God for this church. And again, he he returns to that. He he gives thanks to God 
And it's for one main reason. The reason is this. He gives thanks for God's sovereignty in salvation. Now, uh, we're talking here about his sovereignty in every aspect of salvation. So, for example, in verse 13, uh, Paul says that God chose you. He's speaking to the church. God chose you. He elects unto salvation his precious and dearly loved people. So that means if, if you are a Christian, if you are trusting in what Jesus has done, well, yes, on the one hand, it's because you decided to follow Jesus, but even more so, it's because God made the decision to save you in eternity past. And God's not like us, right? He won't change his mind if things get tough. He won't change his mind. And God, well, he doesn't just choose us, Paul says. He also grows us. So there in verse 13, he says, God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What this means is as a chosen member of his family, well, God doesn't just invite us inside, but he feeds us by his Spirit through the truth of his word. And so that we don't plateau, but grow as Christians. And so, of course, that we can more easily spot the deception of the devil and this man of lawlessness. And finally, God doesn't just choose us. He doesn't just grow us, but he glorifies us. Verse 14, Paul says, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is sovereignly working to ensure that you, Christian, reach glory. Reach uh, at that moment when Jesus does return and he takes us to be with him for eternity. Uh, God is sovereignly working to make sure you remain united to Christ for the rest of time. That unity that we experience in part right now, if if we have faith in him, well, we'll experience in fullness then. God is going to get you there, Paul says. To use a, a, a travel analogy, it's as if God gives you a ticket for a, a plane, ticket for a flight. He pays for your accommodation and your expenses while you wait. And then when you get to the flight or you see it's his plane and he's the one flying you, you're in safe hands. That's the point Paul's trying to make. Now, do you see that everything that Paul has said in this passage is directed at calming our fears, whatever fears we might have about the future? They're directed at reminding us of what's true regarding Jesus' return, and it's directed at encouraging us to not be deceived by false claims. But it's not enough to know Uh, what not to do, we also need to know what to do. Like how do we, while we wait for Christ's return, how do we ensure that we remain on track as God has promised? Well, Paul states it plainly for us in verse 15, right near the end of our passage. In verse 15, he writes this. So then, brothers, stand firm, And hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. 
And we have those traditions still with us today, don't we? It's this written down for us, uh, for all of us to see. The only question is, will you continue to hold firmly to it? Because that's the way, Paul says, that's the way to stand firm. Now, as many of you uh, potentially know, I like the beach. I like to go down to the beach every now and then. I'm looking forward to summer. Uh, in the years past, as a much younger guy, I like to uh, hit the beach and, and uh, go bodyboarding. I remember one day in particular while doing this, it was a, a day where the waves that morning were some of the biggest that I'd ever seen. And so now if you know anything about uh, bodyboarding, you'll know you kind of you lie flat on the surface of the board, and that's how you uh, catch the waves. There's a problem with that. There's a potential problem with that, which is if you're lying flat and you're looking out to see what's coming, well, because you're right up against the surface of the wave, it might be harder to see a potential big wave coming in from out the back. So what I needed to do was to learn how to sit upright on the board so that I could see further. Once I figured that out, I could see further. I could see the waves coming. And the way to do that was to effectively grip the board tightly with my knees. I have to wedge it between my legs, grip it with my knees, and that way I could stay steady and not fall over and land in the water. That way I could see the big wave coming in. Now, this principle is what Paul's calling us to do as Christians in the here and now. When I cling tightly to God's word over other things... Well, that will enable me to see this, uh, this big wave of deception rolling in, the one that must come before Jesus returns. Now, if I'm only holding on to it loosely, I'm, I'm gonna, not going to be able to see what's coming as clearly. And the risk is that I get swept away. So are you holding on tightly to God's word? Is God's word the thing that you go to when deciding what's true and what's not? Or are you holding on to something else? See, the apocalypse, whilst having the potential to cause us worry, to fill us with fears, while having the potential to derail us as Christians, well, what we're learning here tonight is that it doesn't have to be that way. Why? Well, because we know what's true we know there's still more to come. This lawless one, this period of deception, sure, it's going to arrive at some point. And yes, while it has the potential to be devastating for the visible church, we know that the invisible church, those elected by God, those chosen by God, will be safe. So if that's you, If you are here tonight and you believe the gospel news about Jesus, then the call in the meantime is simple. Hold firmly to God's word. Let that shape the direction of your life. Let that be your source of truth. Let me pray. Father in heaven, not only have you revealed yourself to us, not only have you sent your son, but you've given us a written record 
of all that you have done in the world. Uh, We're so thankful that we have easy access to your word. Help us, we pray, to uh, value it rightly, to see it for the treasure that it is. May we not uh, let other potential sources of truth uh, overtake or or be our our main uh, source for truth. May we always return to your word. May that be the thing that undergirds all that we do. Uh, Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.